May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. I am going to take an extended version of the talk I did for the Fibromyalgia Care Conference on November 5th. I had about 20 to 25 minutes to talk about a subject, sleep, which many feel is at the foundation of fibromyalgia. If you haven't had an opportunity to listen to the Fibromyalgia Care Conference, that is available or will be available all the different recordings. There were different speakers from advocates, from people living with fibromyalgia and physicians who wanted to share a message of information and hope. We have a big thanks to Melissa Talwar, who has been a big advocate for fibromyalgia and put together this conference. For those of you who are meeting me for the first time, I am a pediatrician and an internist and a lifestyle medicine physician. I've been a doctor for over 26 years. I try to blend the best of both lifestyle medicine and medical management using an evidence-based approach. I also am author of the book, Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain. When people asked me why did I decide to write a book and do a podcast, it started probably about four to five years ago. Initially, I had a two-page handout that I put together about what fibromyalgia was. I realized that was woefully inadequate. I found that many wanted more and deserved more than what I could write on two pages. So then I made a 20-page handout. I gave links to Dr. Daniel Claw from the University of Michigan, who has done a couple talks online on fibromyalgia. Beyond that, I didn't have a lot of other resources to provide. And I thought putting together a book that's very evidence-based, that's comprehensive, that blends the best of both lifestyle management and medical management, looking at a whole person a multi-organ system view. The initial drive for the book was for my immediate patients so that they can understand fibromyalgia and related problems better. I also wanted their family and their loved ones to help understand what they're going through. Fibromyalgia is complex and for too long has been ignored as a real problem, deserving of honest answers and practical solutions for real people struggling with pain, exhaustive fatigue, and debilitating brain fog. While I don't have fibromyalgia and rarely get a headache, which is usually triggered by an irregular sleep schedule, I am passionate about those struggling with this often invisible and frustrating condition. I don't have any particular vitamins or herbal concoctions to sell to treat your fibromyalgia and related problems. If you are like many with fibromyalgia, you may wonder, why don't I sleep well? Why am I exhausted, 
even after sleeping for seven to nine hours. I asked on the What Works for Fibromyalgia Facebook group to share questions about sleep and fibromyalgia. I am going to address one of the questions and in the subsequent episodes, we'll address other questions that were provided. If you have any questions about sleep and fibromyalgia that you would like me to try to answer further or that aren't covered on these episodes, please email me at drmichaellens at gmail.com. That link is in the show notes. First question that we'll address is, no matter what my position, I'm uncomfortable, constantly feeling pain in one or multiple areas. My neck can never fully relax. My legs and feet feel like I just ran a marathon overnight when I wake up in the morning. Is it mind over matter? That's a great question, and that's a question that many of my own patients who have been struggling with fibromyalgia and related problems have been through. And when we look at this idea, is it just my mind? Is it just how I'm looking at things? Or is it something different? Is my brain operating system working differently that's making it harder for me to sleep. Before we dive into this question deeper, I'd like to just remind people that this podcast and the book are for educational purposes only. All of your signs and symptoms should be discussed with your own individual doctor. There are multiple ways sleep and fibromyalgia are connected, and it appears that poor sleep causes fibromyalgia symptoms. Studies have shown that a few nights of disrupted sleep or even one night of sleep deprivation will cause heightened pain sensitivity the next day. Unrefreshing sleep occurs in 75 to 90% of those with fibromyalgia. There are many reasons unrefreshing sleep occurs more often in those who have fibromyalgia. There are medical problems, maladaptive behaviors, environmental factors, and stress that can play roles. One of the medical problems is restless leg syndrome, which occurs in about 50 to 65% of fibromyalgia patients. For those with fibromyalgia who have restless leg syndrome, compared to those without restless leg syndrome, fibromyalgia intensity is worse as measured by the Fibromyalgia Impact Questionnaire Score. So if you don't know the Fibromyalgia Impact Questionnaire Score, look at an early podcast that I did that's entitled, How Bad Is My Fibromyalgia? Do You Have Restless Leg Syndrome? The International Restless Leg Study Group has four essential criteria for diagnosing restless leg syndrome. The first is an urge to have to move the legs accompanied by or caused by unpleasant sensations in the legs. Sometimes the urge is present without unpleasant sensations, and sometimes these sensations are present in the upper body. This can be described in many ways. It can be a creepy, crawly, tingly, ache, tight, sore, but often hard to put into words. Sometimes kids may describe it as like little bugs crawling on my legs. The second criteria is the urge to move the legs is present, whether resting or inactive. In other words, it's present when you're just laying there. The third criteria is the urge to move the legs is partially or entirely relieved with movement. 
If you're laying in bed and get that uncomfortable sensation, you may stretch your legs, move or adjust or get up, walk around, and it temporarily helps it or lessens it, may completely take it away. But then it comes back. I've had some people who had this and on their own just self-medicated by going for a run before they go to bed. The fourth criteria is the urge to move or unpleasant sensations are worse at night than during the day or occur only at night and tend to worsen the longer someone is lying down. So if you're like many people who have fibro, you may be up, moving around in the evening, getting chores done, and you never actually let yourself sit for a long time. So you may be able to initially lay there and not have any symptoms, but the longer you lay there, the more uncomfortable you get. And that urge to have to move the legs crescendos over time. Some people will notice that they can fall asleep for an hour or so, but then they wake up and now they notice that uncomfortable feeling and it's hard to fall back to sleep. For some people who've had this for a long part of their life, and if they're older, they may have had it since they were a kid, and now they may actually notice the symptoms during the day. We'll talk more about the connection between restless leg and ADHD. Some questions for you to consider if you have fibromyalgia or if you have a loved one who does have fibromyalgia. First, do you have insomnia or sleep problems and a need to move? And do you have uncomfortable sensations in the legs and sometimes the upper body? If you answer yes to these, then consider these questions. Have you felt the urge to move your legs in the evening or at night in the last week? Do these symptoms worsen when you sit, lie down, or rest? Are the symptoms worse in the evening or at night than during the day? And does moving, whether walking or stretching, partially or temporarily relieve these sensations? Other supporting findings are first-degree relatives with restless leg symptoms. Most people who have restless leg syndrome have normalized their behavior. They just don't know any different. This is just how they've been. Some people have had this since they were kids. This is the only brain and central nervous system that they have. Another important factor is that restless leg symptoms are not always the same every night. People who have high levels of exercise during the day often have less symptoms at night, especially if they are able to be consistently high with their activity level. People who have high levels of exercise during the day or activity during the day often sleep better at night. This is something that I encourage my patients to monitor. One of the tools that we have with modern technology is using an activity counter. One patient that had restless leg syndrome, she was treated in high school. At the time, she wasn't involved in any sports and she was having difficulty sleeping and staying asleep. She was treated with a medication called ropinirol to help with their restless leg symptoms, and they went away. But when she had a new position working as a nurse's aide in a nursing home where she was on her feet throughout the shift, not doing anything especially rigorous, but just not sitting most of the time, she'd get about eighteen to 25,000 steps a day. She said, I didn't need my restless leg medication. It completely went away. I've had other patients who have monitored their exercise and living in Wisconsin where the weather's 
a lot different between summer and winter. She was getting 18 to 20,000 steps in the summer where she'd be working in the yard. On top of that, she'd be going for a run and she was doing much better with her fibromyalgia and restless leg symptoms. In the winter, when she was getting about seven to 10,000 steps, which is probably a lot for many of you listening who have fibromyalgia, it wasn't enough for her to treat her restless leg symptoms. As I mentioned earlier, many who have restless leg syndrome also have a family history. If you have a family history of restless leg symptoms, that is another support for you having restless leg syndrome. Now, the interesting observation is that if you ask a general question to your parents or ask your siblings if they have restless leg syndrome or ask your children if they have restless leg syndrome, they will likely report that they don't because they've never been diagnosed. It goes back to that old saying, if a tree falls in a forest and there's no one there to hear it, doesn't make a noise. Of course, it makes a noise. The same applies to restless leg syndrome. If you have all of the symptoms, but there's no one there to make the diagnosis, and you don't even know that there's a diagnosis to be made because this is just your normal, this is just how your body is, then you are likely not to have the diagnosis. This is often very underdiagnosed. One example of this is I have many of my patients who have likely restless leg syndrome. Many of my patients, especially if they're adults who may have had symptoms for a long time, are a little hesitant to embrace the diagnosis. I will ask them to self-monitor their sleep carefully for the next several nights. I will say just lay still, lay in bed, and pay attention to any sensations. Often people who have restless leg will only have uncomfortable sensations when they lay still. And then it gets uncomfortable. And the longer they lay there, it just gets more and more uncomfortable. And I just have to move or stretch or adjust my back or shoulder, pump my legs or feet, or just have to get up and walk around. And one of my patients did that. She observed that. And then she asked her parents, by the way, do any of you have any problems sleeping? But neither of her parents had reported restless leg syndrome symptoms, but her dad reported, why do the cats always jump on my feet at night compared to not jumping on his wife's feet at night under the covers? And of course, it's because he was moving his feet, just wiggling them, moving them. And the cats were pouncing, just as that little game you can play with. Cats where they like to pounce on things under covers thinking it might be a mouse or something. This serves as an example of that unawareness. I often ask this for family history, and it's not uncommon. We're all here, oh, the parents actually sleep in different rooms because one of them is moving and tossing and turning during sleep, and it's very uncomfortable for the other to get any good restorative sleep. Another support for you having restless leg syndrome is having a response the typical restless leg syndrome medications. The typical medications are called dopamine agonists. These are propinerol or pramipexol. Brand name is Requip or Mirapex. Or any of the gabapentinoids, such as brand name Lyrica or pregabalin and gabapentin, also known as Neurontin. These were medications that originally were thought to be 
possible treatments for seizures, but proven to be not very effective for seizures, but quite effective for restless leg syndrome. Many with fibromyalgia may be able to lay still in bed, but they may have more racing thoughts, making it harder to relax and fall asleep. These racing thoughts are not to be confused with the manic thoughts of bipolar depression. Bipolar depression will be having days in a row, very manic, hyperinflated sense of self-esteem and doing things that are quite out of the ordinary shopping sprees and hypersexuality and other things that are out of their character. But for those who have ADHD, it's just their normal every day throughout the day and having a lot of these different thoughts racing through their mind. And then it's hard to turn their brain off and sometimes will be much more catastrophic or negative thinking. And then it suddenly gets into, I can't turn my brain off, I can't calm down, and that may be a challenge. And if you have ADHD, treatment of ADHD can help with that treatment of ADHD with medication, just having awareness you have ADHD and doing other things like keeping your hands busy with knitting or drawing or other things that are able to help you relax. Sometimes journal writing can be helpful. We'll talk more about that in sleep hygiene on some upcoming episodes. Most RLS patients also have periodic limb movement disorder, referred to as PLMD, a sleep disorder affecting approximately 4 to 11% of the population. People with periodic limb movement disorder experience repetitive jerking, cramping, or twitching of their lower legs during sleep. These are known as periodic limb movements and happen every 5 to 90 seconds for up to an hour. The movements disrupt the person's sleep even if they don't wake up and cause daytime sleepiness and fatigue. Still, their bed partner will notice that they move a lot during the night. One of the questions in the What Works in Fibromyalgia Facebook group was, no matter what my position, I'm uncomfortable, constantly feeling pain in one or multiple areas, my neck can never fully relax. My legs and feet feel like I just ran a marathon overnight when I wake up. Is it mind over matter? Well, what we're learning, and I don't know this person's individual story, but if you're listening or if you're somebody who has had the same question, if you have periodic limb movement disorder, if you have restless leg syndrome, it might be in a sense that your legs did run a marathon overnight and you have not had refreshing sleep. The good news is that this is a treatable condition. Often this is genetic. Often this is related to dopamine processing and imbalances within the part of the central nervous system that have to deal with controlling movements within the brain, the brainstem and the spinal cord. It also can be associated with iron deficiency. This is commonly in women who are having heavy menstrual periods. Sometimes this can be seen if you have celiac disease and you have poor iron absorption. The younger you are, when you have symptoms and the more family members who have restless leg syndrome, it's much more likely that you have a genetic cause. You can also have a worsening of your symptoms with iron deficiencies, so it's important to make sure you get those identified. If you think you may have restless leg syndrome and periodic limb disorder, make sure you talk to your doctor and look at getting treatment. This is where we will end this week's episode. I hope you found it helpful. Next week, we will be continuing the conversation about sleep and fibromyalgia and looking at the research on what is different about 
those who are struggling with fibromyalgia and how their brain operates in regard to sleep. We'll look at observations of those with fibromyalgia in sleep studies and look at studies that were actually able to turn on fibromyalgia symptoms artificially and then turn them off when the experimental intervention stopped. For those of you who've enjoyed this podcast as well as the other podcast episodes, the biggest compliment you can show is by leaving a five-star rating, reviewing, and sharing this with others. That way, more can go from learning just to live with, but to working to conquer your fibromyalgia. I also really appreciate feedback from you, the listener, about the podcast. And also, if you have any questions, email me at drmichaellens at gmail.com. That information is in the show notes. Until next week, go Team Fibro. Fibro.